How's everybody doing? Good. I'm Marsh. It is hot. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, <laughs> Mr. Obvious. Um, my name's Marsh. I'm the worship arts pastor here, and it's great to see you. Um, happy 3rd of July. Uh, it doesn't have the, uh, as good a ring to it as it will tomorrow, happy 4th of July, but um, anyway, it's our 235th anniversary of freedom and independence from the tyrannical and imperialistic rule of the British Empire. There we have it. It's great to be able to reflect on the blessings of freedom, and um, let's take some time out to do that, rolling it right now. Uh, before I do, though, I want to get one thing out of the way. Uh, I think our outreach director is hot. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying that was a good hire. Anyway, uh, let, me read, let me read our text for today, and then... Uh, uh, we'll pray, and we'll move on and, and uh, talk about freedom. Our text is Galatians 5, 1, 13, 14, and 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for freedom. Teach us what it means to be free and free in you. Help us to uh, take seriously the responsibility of that and lead us in your way. Amen. So uh, for the month, we're taking a little time away from the whole shebang, and we're doing what's on the grill. So this week is freedom, uh, with it being Independence Day. So, and to start with freedom, if you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to find uh, a few different definitions, but most of them are going to center around autonomy or uh, independence or the ability to make your own choices without somebody telling you what to do. Uh, kind of a, kind of a do-as-you-please uh, definition, um, which I think is how we kind of daily interact with freedom. It's kind of what, uh, how we see freedom on a day-to-day -day basis, like um, uh, what can I or can I not do? What is hindering me? Um, anyone remember when uh, it became a law to have to wear seatbelts? Anybody remember that? Um, well, I'm from Kentucky. I don't know how it went over out here, but not big back where I'm from. Because uh, we, uh, uh, we don't want to wear helmets, okay? And we don't want to wear seat belts or put our kids in safety seats, all right? Um, but thank God our government loves our stupid people because uh, some, some laws are good, even though they, we feel like they infringe upon us, they're good for us. But, but we just don't want to be told what to do, you know what I mean? Anybody part of an HOA? Hello. No likey, HOA. Um, it's my house and my yard, but apparently I can't paint it purple. Or let my grass grow this high, and I can't keep my beautiful collection of newspapers strewn about my driveway like I like to. Um, of course, I'm from Kentucky, and, you know, we park our cars in the front yard. But that's a, that's a different, uh, that's a different uh, thing. Freedom 
is impractical if it's just doing what we want all the time. Uh, because at some point, that's going to infringe on someone else's freedom, or it's going to help us lose our own freedom. If I decide uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to your house for dinner tonight, even though you didn't invite me, and you don't know who I am. My name is Marsh. Hi. So it takes away your freedom to, to have dinner with your family without crazy come to town. And if Alan decides he wants to get, uh, he wants to add to his collection of NHL jerseys, which I don't understand why anybody would want to do that, but if he did want to do that, and he went to Toronto and busted in Air Canada Center and broke into the Maple Leafs locker room and took a jersey, he's probably going to have, you know, five or six Canadian Mounties breathing down his neck. They're going to throw him in the Huskow pretty soon. So he's going to lose... He's going to lose his freedom. To, to be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, is just, it's impractical. Let me read our text one more time. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I think we can see that in Paul's uh, definition of freedom, that doing as you please is not going to fit. That's not how he understands it. And it's because he's not talking about freedom in and of itself. He's talking about freedom in Christ, which is what we're going to be talking today. So I'm going to, just to set you up front, you're going to hear this scripture a lot during the service. I want it to kind of get in our minds. And if we're going to talk about freedom, then we must be free from something. So we're going to have to back up a little bit. And if you're free from something, then the something is usually something like slavery or oppression or imprisonment. In our case, it's all of those. It's sin. And I'm, I'm going to say something that, that might not be uh, popular, I might step on some toes, but I, I feel pretty confident in it, is that we either were or are slaves to sin. Everybody here. We either were or are slaves to sin. Christ said in John 8 that he who has sinned is a slave to sin. Paul says in Ephesians that our condition is dead in sin. It sounds hopeless, and if we're left to our own devices, it is completely hopeless. And Paul, his warning of if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other, is to free people. He's just told them they're called to be free. They're to Christians. So why is Paul warning the free? And I think it's because they were just slaves. We've lived so long in slavery that it's easy to put the yoke of slavery back on, like Paul says. Has anyone seen The Shawshank Redemption? Awesome movie. Awesome. You need to catch that if you've not seen it. Well, uh, if you remember Brooks, the older guy who's in prison, uh, is getting released. He's having a difficult time with being released. He, he doesn't know how he's going to make it on the outside. 
Inside, he takes care of the library. He's an important man. He has respect. He's been there a while, so he's got a little bit of stature. He has no idea what's coming outside. He even tries to do some things uh, in prison to keep him in prison, but they let him go anyway. And after about a week on the outside, he can't cope. He takes his own life. And later on, uh, Morgan Freeman, his character, Red, is talking to some guys. They're reminiscing about Brooks. And uh, he's talking about their position and their condition of being in, in prison. He looks around and says, you know, these walls are funny. First you hate them. Then you get used to them. And after a while, you start to depend on them. And he calls that institutionalized. Now, Paul refers to it as a yoke of slavery. It's weird to think that we would be hooked to slavery, but the fact is sometimes we get so used to things that they become warm and fuzzy to us, that our burdens are things we don't want to let go. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, and this is from the message, so the, if you're following along, this might have a little bit of different uh, sound to you. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us, took our sin-dead lives, and made us alive in Christ. You see, out of his great love, Christ makes us alive even when we're dead by grace alone. This is our way to freedom. He gives us grace, which is undeserved favor, and he bestows that on his kids. He came and lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose again to do one thing, to buy our freedom. And freedom always comes at a cost. It can come at dear cost of life sometimes. Conflict, like we celebrate this weekend, it costs us quite a bit to gain our independence from, from Great Britain. Sometimes it's as simple as money. We can pay our way out of debt to get out of that slavery or get ourselves out of, out of jail to make bail. But in this instance, we're too dead to fight and we can't come up with the collateral to make this payment. Paul says in Romans, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Because Christ sees you and I with different eyes than we see each other. He doesn't see pink shirt, dark hair, great job, lots of accomplishments. He sees our condition inwardly. He sees drowning, lost, dead. And he can be for us rescuer, safety, 
found life. One of the major overarching themes of the New Testament is that by no means of our own can we save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't bring about salvation on our own. It can only be be brought about by and through grace. So we were in slavery. Christ is our way to freedom. He is our way to become free. Now, Paul is instructing the Galatians here to remember their calling. You, my brothers, were called to be free, which sounds great right off the top of the bat if we think of freedom as, as we defined it earlier, um, something very simple, just doing as we please. But if you've made a choice before in your life, if you've been free enough to make a choice, then you know at some point you're responsible for that choice. So freedom does have a responsibility. And Paul lays out the foundation for the Christian life like this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Then he instructs them, do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And then he gives incentive to follow the instruction. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. His point is, they're freed to love and through love serve. And if they do it, they'll fulfill the law. And if they don't, they'll destroy each other. So you are freed to love. Through love, serve one another. You have freedom. Now serve. Freedom and servitude. So they must have had some whiplash because being freed to serve is a paradox. That's, that's not one, but two doxes. I'll let that get back there because that's, that's pretty funny <laughs> if you think about it. Pair. Anyway, um, why, why is love that serves the needs of others the only way Christian freedom can express itself? Why is it that freedom to love and the call, to, the call to freedom and the call to love are linked. Paul says that if we use our freedom to indulge ourselves, we'll lose it. That's what he meant by returning to a yoke of freedom. He's not giving us an option. When we love according to our sinful nature, we are enslaved. If we're free to love each other, then we're free. Why is this? And I looked for a really great answer. Uh, in myself, and I didn't find one. So I looked elsewhere, uh, and I found one, a, a, a speaker that I love to study. His name's John Piper. Had a great answer. So to the question of, why is love that serves the needs of others the only way Christian freedom can express itself? He says this, because love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness, but the works of the flesh are motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. Love is motivated by the joy of sharing from our fullness. And the works of the flesh are motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. Now, in his translation of the Bible, it uses flesh. In, in the one I'm using, it, it says your sin nature. It's, none of it's talking about your physical body. It's talking about the place inside that feels that emptiness, that feels that longing to be filled. It's the same part that tries to fill it with substitutes. 
like work, alcohol, and busyness. And that is not freedom. That's enslavement to one futile desire after another to fill a space that only Christ can. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful neighbor, Paul says, nature. He's saying don't give up the true freedom that you have in an all-satisfying Christ just for a few fleeting moments of physical pleasure or just to feed your ego. So losing, using our freedom to indulge our sinful nature is a losing battle to fill ourselves. Love, however, is very different. Its motivation comes from the joy of being full. Moreover, it's, it's the inability to hold back the overflow. When God frees us from, gear, from guilt and fear and greed and fills us with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope, we are freed to love one another. We're no longer bound to accumulate things and manipulate people. When God is our freedom, we are truly free. And that's the most fulfilling way to live our lives. Now, there's another part of the, uh, our text for today that I've read a few times, but I've, I've kind of skipped uh, diving into until now. Uh, and it's... I think it's the most difficult command there is in the Bible. And it's really, it's really convicted me these past few days. It's this. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we've heard this a lot of times. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, sometimes it's interpreted um, uh, love yourself or to have self-esteem. Um, but that's not what it's talking about. Um, this is not something that Paul just came up with. It's been Moses uh, referred to it in Leviticus, Jesus and Luke, and now Paul here. The command is love your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor. That's, what that's the command, not love ourselves. So we're not talking about self-esteem. What we're talking about is self-interest. Because Moses and Jesus and Paul and everybody else in this room doesn't need to be told that we love ourselves. We love ourselves. I love me. I'm the president of the Marsh Hall fan club. There's no reason why you shouldn't like me. I can't come up with one. It's just, it's just in us to look out for number one. We're instinctively looking out for our best interests. What they're saying is think of others as number one as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you already love yourself. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. So love your neighbor as yourself is not asking us to love ourselves. It's asking us to take our current self-love and make that be the benchmark for how we love everybody else. 
Now, this may not be new to you to hear that, but it has struck me anew uh, this past week because it doesn't mean bake some cookies and take them next door to your neighbor. It, those are, that's a great thing. We should, we should love our, 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 our next-door neighbors in that, in that fashion. We should do that. We should be welcoming people. Here's what it means and why I've been so convicted. It means want to feed the hungry as much as you want to eat when you are hungry. It means, yeah, want to find your neighbor a job as much as you like having a job. It means want to help your friend get an A in class as much as you want to get an A in class. It means to care for the person on the side of the highway as much as you are enjoying being in your air-conditioned car. To want to share the love of God as much as you are glad you have it. To care for someone else's needs as much as you care for your own. To use all of the energy and the perseverance and the creativity that you use to do good things for yourself. Do that for other people. Can you imagine what it would be like in here if we did that? If that was real? If you look to your left and your right and had the same longing for someone else's happiness that you have for your own? It would be neon in here with, with the joy of God. And his presence would be so unmistakable. Let's, let's be like that. Let's be like that. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to change us inside out. Because Paul says if we don't, we'll destroy ourselves. And remember, we can only love if we are free. Love is motivated by the joy of sharing out of our fullness and not by the desire to fill an empty spot. We can be set free if we choose the way. And we can live like this if we lean into Christ and ask the Holy Spirit to change our lives. Because if the Son has set us free, then we're free indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for preparing and creating a way for us to be free. Free to love you and not love the world, free to love each other as much as we love ourselves. As we know you wouldn't command us to do something, you wouldn't give us the power to do. So God, help us to lean into you. And Holy Spirit, change us from the inside out. We love you so much and thank you for your blessings, the blessing of freedom. When we think about that this weekend, let's think about what you paid for us to be free. Amen.